0: Isaiah sees what no one is supposed to be able to see and live. Isaiah sees God, the divine presence, the Lord, filling the temple with that presence. And notice how beyond the image of the hem of God's robe filling the temple space, Isaiah says nothing more about the appearance of God. All the action shifts to the seraphim who are in attendance and to Isaiah's response to this call. It is a vision of the Lord at once mysterious and uncertain and yet compelling. And it is accompanied, as God's visions almost always are, by a call Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? For us. As many of you know, we have been with our granddaughter the last couple of weeks, and now we're good for nothing. (laughs) This was the second time, only the second time, that we've seen her in person. The first was back in October of last year, just a few weeks after her birth, when we traveled to their home in Tokyo. We filled up that time back in October with as much face-to-face smiling and laughing and kissing and holding as we could, knowing it would be months before we were able to hold her again, and knowing the kinds of changes that can occur in just a few months with a newborn baby. We spent those months between that first face-to-face talking with her every week multiple times a week on video chat, which, with all the perils of technology duly acknowledged, this is one of its miracles. As we were getting ready for her visit here a couple of weeks ago, we wondered if she would know us. This is what happens when you have a baby grandchild across the world You do wonder those sorts of things. Will she know us, I mean truly know us, as people who are special in her life? Would we get a look of recognition? I conjured up all of these uh, images of meeting them at the airport and seeing her smile upon looking at my face and reaching out for us as soon as she saw us. None of that happened she cried and she cried and then she began to wail when they handed her to us. It had been a long flight and she did not want to be separated from her mom and dad, so we quickly gave her back to them, our fantasy um, demolished. But once she was in the safety of their arms, she turned her head and looked at us again and then again And that's when we could see those lights coming on. And then she reached out to touch our faces, to reach for our glasses. She smiled. Only as they held her did she feel the comfort and security to acknowledge this other relationship. It would take some time holding her and laughing and smiling and simply being together, but eventually she began to cry whenever we left the room. And I loved the sound of that cry. Indeed. Anyone who's ever been in a relationship with a newborn infant knows that that relationship is presented as both gift and task, as both gift and calling. It is a gift that is shrouded in mystery, You look into the eyes of the little one and there is an instant connection. Yet at the same time, you know that if the relationship is to flourish, there will be much work to do, much time to spend, much joy and sorrow to endure together, and that it will never stop, it will never end. This relationship will exist for the rest of your lives. Christians grasped something important about the nature of God based on the experience they had of being in relationship to Christ and to the God who was revealed in Christ. God is, they said and we affirm, a relational God. God is relationship even within God's own self, a relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They remembered the stories of God walking with Adam in the garden. They remembered the story of God entering into covenant with Abraham. They remembered the story of God revealing God's name to Moses as Yahweh, I am who I am. They remember God speaking through the prophets. They remembered stories of God changing God's own mind. Remember Noah? Remember Jonah? All of these stories pointed to a God who was not far off up in the heavens looking down like Zeus, judging the world from a distance. Rather, they pointed to a God who is in relationship, intimate relationship, with all that God created. That relationship was ultimately revealed, they believed and we affirm, in Jesus Christ, who spent his ministry building relationships with all, especially those who saw themselves outside the bounds of God's relational love. But nowhere was the nature of God revealed more powerfully than on the cross, they believed, where God goes as deep into the human experience as God can, becoming one with us in suffering and death. This event, as Jürgen Moltmann says, the Father grieves the death of the Son and sends out the Holy Spirit into the world which is the ongoing, self-giving, servant spirit of Christ himself. The early church had all of these stories, all of these concepts, ideas, in their minds. And it took three or four centuries for that to become crystallized into what we understand as the formal doctrine of the Trinity today. They used the philosophical language of their own day. They tried to articulate what it means that God relates to us in this way. They said God is one, and yet that oneness is expressed as a relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From the very beginning, they said God has been this relationship. And the world was created out of the fullness of this relationship, for relationship. This, they said, is what was meant when God said in Genesis, let us make humankind in our image. Our image. We are created for relationship. Therefore, when we speak of the Trinity we use relational terms. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These don't have to always be the exact terms that we use, but these are the traditional terms used by the church to express relationship. Sometimes preachers think that we can explain the Trinity using non-relational concepts and substances. Pastors, many a pastor has used the image usually with the children during children's time of water, ice, and steam. Children, you see that this water is water. Um, Yet if I freeze it, it becomes ice. If I boil it, it becomes steam. So God is one God, water, yet known in three persons, water, ice, and steam. Go in peace. And a little hand comes up. Pastor, which one is Jesus? Is he water, is he ice, or is he steam? Well, it's time for children's worship. (laughs) Or we hold up a three-leaf clover. God is one, just like this plant is one. But God is also three, just like this plant has three leaves. Go in peace. A hand comes up. My mom says, that's a weed, pastor. And another one interjects, I found a four-leaf clover the other day. And looks at the pastor as if to say, what deep theological mystery does that portend? And the pastor responds, let us pray. These were the kinds of explanations that caused none other than Thomas Jefferson to say about the doctrine of the Trinity that it was the hocus-pocus phantasm of a god with one body and three heads. He said it had its birth and growth in the blood of thousands and thousands of martyrs. He goes on to say, in fact, the paradox that one is three and three but one is so incomprehensible to the human mind that no candid man can say he has any idea of it? And how can he believe what presents no idea? He who thinks he does only deceives himself. When no less a light than the intellectual behind our nation's founding documents raises these sorts of questions, we are forced to pay some attention But if I may be so bold as to challenge Thomas Jefferson, the Trinity he is objecting to is one I object to as well. It's a Trinity ripped from its relational setting and made into a philosophical puzzle or a math problem or a substance when all along Trinity is God is a relationship. In our efforts to understand the Trinity, we have often taken it outside of this foundational setting, this relational setting. If I speak with the children about what it means to be in relationship to their father or to their mother or to their grandparents or to their teachers or to their friends, if I ask them what it means, as you heard earlier, to love and be loved, there is no need to bring out three-leaf clovers and water. They understand what it means to be in relationship because they were created as relational beings by a relational God. It is fitting that Trinity Sunday falls for the American church on Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow is a day, as you know, set aside to remember our relationship to those men and women who sacrificed their lives for the sake of our nation. At our best, as a nation, we recognize that we are in a web of relationship to them, that their actions have affected us in a profound way, and that their sacrifice continues to form and inform who we are. Sacrifice is relational. We are only willing to give of ourselves for the sake of another if we feel connected in a meaningful way. And I don't think I need to say this morning that part of the hard work for all of us as Americans in this day and time is the fostering of those connections across so many lines that divide us so terribly these days. A day like Memorial Day gives us that opportunity. Isaiah recognizes immediately that the God revealed to him in the temple is not only his God, but also the God of his people. He is called to go out from that place cleanse, and ready to be sent to the people. Look into a newborn's eyes and you immediately recognize a connection. Likewise, on the other other side of that, when we gather after the death of someone we love, what usually happens in those gatherings? People come out They come out to the funeral home. They come out to the church, the graveside. Sometimes they haven't seen the person who died in decades. But they grew up together. They served in the military together. They worked in the same job. And the connections go on and on. And often families are surprised by the people who come out. They themselves are a testimony to those connections, those webs of relationship that hold us together. When someone dies, we search for those connections. We celebrate them. We recognize that life as God intends it to be, full and abundant and real, life is as God intends it to be when we attend to the call to relationship with God, and with one another. On this day, we remember that when we do attend to those relationships, we are experiencing the very heart of the triune God. So this Trinity Sunday, this Memorial Day weekend, I invite you to consider all of the relationships in which you are embedded to attend to them especially your relationship to the triune God but also those relationships that surround you see them as a gift which they certainly are and give thanks see them also as a call as a task And with Isaiah, let us respond to God's call to relational living. Here I am. Send me. Amen.